Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Worship team, once again, thank you very, very much. And uh, Matt is right, uh, as the deer panteth for the water is an old uh, uh, song. Uh, in fact, you can find it in Psalm 42. And uh, so the, the author of that song has been dead for many years. And, uh, but it keeps speaking to our heart. Uh, church, great to welcome you this morning. I'm, uh, I'm welcoming the eager beavers who gladly gave up an hour of sleep and uh, so forth, or, or you had a smartphone <laughs> and you didn't know what time it was when you got up. <clears throat> so uh, great to have, have you here this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be back in the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew chapter 5. And as you turn there, let's, uh, let's pray one more time. Uh, Father, uh, we pray that by your Spirit this morning that you will quicken your word to our hearts. Give us ears to hear, heart and mind to receive and comprehend. And then, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would work in us in such a way that uh, we would respond to what we hear in, in a way that honors you as our Heavenly Father. Uh, Lord, we do ask that you'd hide your servant behind the cross and And may we just hear and know your word this morning. And we'll thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have to share with you that on uh, Friday morning I was all set to go. I knew exactly where I was going with this message. And uh, then I suggested to my wife that uh, Friday afternoon or early afternoon that uh, we go see the movie The Shack. Uh, I had read the book, uh, The Shack. Uh, I determined in my ministry back in the 1980s over in uh, uh, Price, Utah, that I would never recommend another film. I had a good friend over there, Kevin Jensen. He's in a care home now. He, uh, uh, he uh, only went to the fifth grade, but he was a man that knew how to work hard, and he ended up finally with a, a fleet of coal-hauling trucks, uh, and uh, he was an awesome diesel mechanic, and I think for seven years he repaired all the trucks on a concrete slab, no covering over him, finally built a building. Uh, anyway, when he came to the end of all that, he was able to sell it for several million dollars, uh, definitely what you would call a self-made man. Uh, I had seen the movie Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner, and uh, uh, I, I'm pretty picky on films, and uh, I don't... Uh, I don't care for any nudity of any kind, and, and uh, I, I liked Dances with Wolves. I, I loved uh, the whole Native American culture about it, and, uh, and so I recommended it to Kevin, and he came back the next Sunday. He was just shocked. He said, Doug, I can't, uh, I can't believe that you would recommend a movie with nudity in it. And uh, I said, there's no nudity in there. And uh, there is a scene where you see Kevin Costner's naked backside coming up out of a pond uh, that he's taking a bath in, and uh, that just hadn't clicked with me. (laughs) 
And I said, well, Kevin, didn't she ever take gym class in high school? Well, he only went to the fifth grade. (laughs) And he had never been in the military. And he was shocked by that. And uh, uh, I guess he didn't know he looked that way. But anyway, uh, uh, I decided right there and then I would never, uh, I'd never recommend another movie. Uh, but I'm going to violate that, and if you want to kick me out of the church, that's fine. Uh, uh, I read the book, The Shack, when it first came out, and I was moved by it. There were a lot of people that stood up to rally against it, and they could pick it apart and, and find, uh, find fault with it. But you know, isn't that what the Pharisees did with Jesus? Didn't they find fault in everything he did? You know, I I found people that find fault with Billy Graham. And it seems like that wherever God works, (laughs) there are people of God who line up to uh, criticize it. Remember what Philippians 4.8 says? Think on what is good, what is pure, what is right, what is worthy of praise. Uh, We live in a fallen world and we tend to go to the dark side instead of the light side. And so people line up to, to criticize it. But I'll tell you, if I could have got a copy of the film this morning, even though it's 132 minutes long, instead of a message, I would have had you watch the film. I didn't catch this so much when I read the book, but in the film I greatly catch, Blessed are those who mourn. And it's really the story about a man who, who mourns the brokenness in his life. Uh, we, we live in a, in, a, in a world that's contaminated by sin, and, and, and there's none perfect. Romans 3.23, for all have what? Sin, and come short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark, regardless. And... Uh, and uh, the picture, the movie, I think is even better than the book because it gives you a little of the backstory, And it deals with a dad that's mourning his wounds from childhood through to the very point in time that you find him. Uh, I listened to the quietness in the theater. I think I was the only one that got up and went out to the restroom. Uh, I listened to the quietness after it was over. I listened to some of the conversation in the lobby. And, uh, and uh, I'll just tell you what a group of older ladies were saying. Uh, uh, be sure if you go to see it that you take Kleenex, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a guy, and I was wearing long sleeves that day, so no problem. But uh, some of you might want Kleenex. But that, that film kind of threw me into a tizzy. <laughs> Is tizzy a word? Okay. A spiral, anyway. And, um, and uh, it just so encapsulates what we have for us this morning. Uh, so I recommend it. If you don't like it, that's fine. <laughs> if it throws you off, come see me. We'll, we'll have coffee and talk about it. But uh, a wonderful motion picture in the theater 
that deals with God and deals with blessed are those who mourn. Well, I want to catch you up from where we were last week. Uh, Kind of a little review, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we see the settings for the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 12, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, John is arrested and put in prison. He will soon be headed, and uh, that is like the starter pistol for the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ here on earth. He had already seen John. He had already been baptized. He had uh, spent his time in the wilderness. He was ready to go with the arrest of John. The ministry of Jesus begins here in the flesh uh, uh, on earth. In verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4, he begins to preach, and he begins to preach and do kingdom work. In verse 23, uh, we see him doing kingdom work. It says, Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming uh, proclaiming the gospel and the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness amongst the people. Uh, News spread about him throughout all of Syria. And uh, they brought to him all who were ill and suffering, various demoniacs, uh, diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. The whole region was impacted in a very short time by the ministry of Jesus. Word of mouth was going around and people were bringing uh, those that needed help, those that needed comfort, those that needed uh, deliverance, those that needed healing. They were bringing them to Jesus, and there were great crowds. And Jesus does something that wouldn't happen today. Uh, Today, as I said, there would be a seminar developed, uh, there would be meetings being held, uh, there would be a book written, uh, 12 Ways to Grow Your Church, and and, uh, we find that God's ways are not man's ways. And Jesus does something very strange here. Instead of fanning the flame for the crowds, he retreats to the mountain and he retreats to teach his disciples what, uh, what, what's really going to be needed if you want to know kingdom power and kingdom ministry in your life. And so he pulls away, some of the crowds follow him, and we have what is called commonly the Sermon on the Mount. Now last week we looked at blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Greek word tokos, blessed are the broken, happy are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not going to come the way that man would say it would come. Uh, Normally you would look for an individual with all kinds of initials after their name, uh, a title, this sort of thing. Uh, The kingdom of God's not coming that way. Remember that uh, God's way is not man's way. And I think one of the disservices that we do today is that we take principles of the world, principles of business, principles of the CEO, and we try to make it transferable concepts to uh, the, the church. And so you might find a, a person that has a heart for business but no heart for ministry. Uh, give me the heart for ministry anytime. And, and in First Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 10, does it not say that God has chosen the foolish things of this world, uh, the base things, even the things which are not, to confound the wise so that God gets all the glory? You see, if you take nothing else away this morning from the beginning, take this away, God is not looking for our abilities. 
He created us. He made us. He's looking for our availability. He's looking for empty pots. He made us out of dust, did he not? And so we are earthen vessels. And if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about this earthen vessel being filled with his power, being filled with his Holy Spirit, but he can only fill it if it's empty. And so what it's all about is coming to the end of ourselves, and when we come to the end of ourselves, we realize we need a Savior. And once we become a child of God, we become a Christian, again, he brings us to the end of ourselves, and we realize that we need a helper, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Not just to indwell us, but to fill us, and he will equip us for ministry. This is why the Holy Spirit gives gifts that only he can give. And, and he doesn't need our abilities. He needs our availability. He needs the empty pot. Uh, I like to refer to it as crack pots. Uh, and uh, and uh, the willingness to allow him to fill us to overflow. And then the kingdom will come. It comes through his power and through his might. And this was what was happening. So Jesus retreats. He says, yes, this kingdom power you see, the healings, the deliverances, all that's happening, it's all real. And it can be yours too. But in order for that to happen, uh, you have to enter it, not like you think you'll enter it, but you have to enter it through brokenness, through brokenness. And God uses the broken. Uh most of you know who D.L. Moody is, Dwight Moody, okay? Uh, read his uh, biographies. He never wrote an autobiography. Dwight L. Moody uh, didn't go past the fifth grade either. <laughs> uh, he went to his ch- church in Chicago, to his pastor, and he said, I think God's leading me to start a Sunday school class. And <laughs> pastor says, well, there isn't any room here at the church. If, if you want to start one at your home, you can. And so Dwight L. Moody uh, started a a Sunday school class, a Bible study in his garage. (laughs) Six weeks later, his Sunday school class was larger than the church. (laughs) No room at the church. (laughs) You understand he didn't have a command of the uh, the queen's English, but God did give him the opportunity to stand in front of the queen and explain the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, that's our God. Uh, He takes fishermen. And, uh, and we know who Peter and Andrew are today, and, and James and, and John, uh, just common, ordinary fishermen. But they, they didn't offer up their, availability, their ability, they offered up their availability. Uh, they came to a place of emptiness, and God filled them, and God used them. And, and that's what God wants to do with us. So he starts this message about the kingdom by saying, uh, happy are the broken, blessed are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then today we look at verse 4 that says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, if you please, happy are the sad. Now I told you that the Beatitudes were lost on me for years, and it was a fellow by the name of Dave Johnson, the pastor of Church of the Open Door in Crystal Lake, Minnesota, Minneapolis area, uh, that really opened my heart and my eyes to the Beatitudes. Happy are the, are the sad. Happy are those, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
this morning I want to define the word mourn and then I want to apply it to our hearts and lives. Uh, if we look at the Greek, we find that there are nine words for the word mourn. And the one that is used here is the word pentheo. Uh, pentheo means to grieve over a death. To grieve over a death. I mean, this is, this is heavy stuff. To grieve over a death. Uh, the death of uh, a marriage. The, the death of a loved one. Uh, the death of, uh, and children are loved too, the death of a child. Uh, the death of a spouse, the death of a parent, uh, to grieve over the death of a dream, uh, to grieve over the death of hope, because God often allows us to come to the end of ourselves so that we'll realize that he is our hope. It means to grieve so severe that it cannot be hidden. It means to mourn in such a way that, that people around you that don't even know you soon pick up on the fact that, that uh, you're mourning. Uh, it means, it, it's such a powerful word, it, it means to get what's on the inside outside. To get it out. To grieve. To bring it into the light. Actually, it is very similar to the word in the Greek for to vomit or regurgitate. And, uh, you know, when, uh, when you vomit or regurgitate, you get what's in here out here. And as, 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 as much as you hate to vomit, don't you feel better after it's over? <laughs> and you kind of go, whew, that's over. <laughs> and then 10 minutes later, you're back to your great friend, the toilet bowl, and, uh, and, and you're vomiting some more. But, but there's just that respite afterwards where where you get what's in here, out here, and, and, and you feel better. You know, you lay there or you pace around or whatever. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. Whoa! You throw up. Oh, you feel better for a while. And, uh, and uh, it's kind of the same thing with mourning, with, with, with grieving. Uh, a picture of this uh, is found in Second Corinthians. And if you want to turn with me there... Uh, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, starting in chapter 3 at verse 4. And this is really uh, Paul dealing with the ministry of the new covenant. But in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, he says, Such confidence we have towards Christ, not that we are adequate in ourselves. See, he's not looking for our adequacy. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And the only way we learn that is to come to the end of ourselves and then allow God to fill us. Verse 6, who also made us advocate as, uh, adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then uh, in verses 13 and 18 uh, through 18, we read these words, and I'll start with verse 12 actually where it says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at what? The great light? No. Notice what Paul says here. He says, At the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their, their heart. 
But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and there is the Spirit of the Lord. Where the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we will all, with unveiled faces, beholding as it were in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as uh, from the Lord the Spirit. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments. He comes down. He has seen uh, uh, at least the backside of God. His face shines to the point that he has to cover it up. But Paul gives us great insight into that. We see that uh, it began to fade. It began to get where people could look at it. But, uh, but Moses kept the burlap bag on his head with the eyes cut out uh, anyway. Because he didn't want the people to know it was fading. And you see, this is one of the problems that we have in the church, in the body of Christ in general, I'm talking universal, is that we mask things. We do not get what is in here, out here. We stuff it. We stuff it. And we wear a mask. Uh, this This has been a heavy week for me. This has been a tough week for me. And I had probably three or four people this morning ask me, how are you? How are you doing? You know what my response was? Fine. I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And we think nobody would care if we tell them, uh, and I don't mean that to any of you who asked me how I was doing. Uh, But but we just kind of ride through life that way, wearing a mask. You know, things may be torn up inside this morning. They may be torn up at home. They may be torn up in our extended family. They might be torn up in our family. But uh, we pull into the church parking lot. We put on the mask. We get out. We're smiling. And Christians can smile. It's fine to smile. Uh, But aren't there days you just don't feel like smiling? You know, uh, maybe that happens as you get older. It's called arthritis. You know, and every movement is is a pain because because we live in a world contaminated by sin and it, and it's wearing out and and uh, there are just some days you don't feel like smiling and if you do it's not a smile it's a it's a grimace okay and people just think you're smiling all right uh, we we we. We aren't to put on masks. We're to bring it into the light. What the Lord is saying is in the kingdom, there is a freedom to express pain. There is a freedom to, to ask for forgiveness for sin. And you know, we need to grieve over our sin. There need to be tears over sin. There need to be tears over death. There needs to be tears over, over loss. There needs to be a freedom to express pain or sin without condemnation. If you're going to deal with a sin, you've got to get it out as well. And if you're going to have people praying with, for you and standing with you, uh, they've got to know about it. And, and I, I'm not saying, you know, just cast caution to the wind, but I'm saying that there ought to be a safe place to get it out. Amen? And if the church is not the safe place to get it out, where's that going to be? I don't know of a place here on earth. It's got to be the church, and we've got to allow for that. And uh, we've got to take off the pharisaical mass, and we've got to take off the pharisaical hearts and the things that would like to judge 
because God's blessing something more than he's ever blessed of, of my own. And, uh, and, uh, and we've got to let God work. And, and when we do confess sin and when we do get it out, notice what God has to say about it in Romans 8.1. 8, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Our sins have been forgiven. They have been forgotten. They have, they have been put behind his back. They've been put as far as the east is from the west, which we can't even measure that distance. And God turns to us and he says, Therefore now to those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is forgiveness. There is love. There is restoration. There is regeneration. There is redemption. There's all these R words which speak of wholeness and being made complete. Amen? I mean, that's, that's a beautiful thing of the kingdom. So, the word to mourn, pantheo, define, the death, coming, experiencing death, uh, death of a sin, hard to get it out, Uh, death of a loved one, uh, death of a dream, death of an ambition, death of my agenda, death of my plan. You know, I sit back and say, you know, if if I were God, I wouldn't do it that way. (laughs) It's a good thing I'm not God. Uh... You know, the interesting thing, and the movie The Shack brings this home, is here on earth we have a sea level view. Now, it doesn't say this per se, but you go watch it and you'll, you'll hear it in the back of your mind. We, we, we have a sea level view. We, we see everything from, from sea level. God has a 30,000 foot 747 kind of view, looking down on the whole pack, uh, picture. Of course, we know that God the Father sees it from the beginning to the end. He knows it all uh, before it even ever happens. And, and, and we forget that sometimes. And, and we are subject to this view down here. Well, the Lord comes into that view and he says, I want to tell you something. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that get what's in here out here. Because then and only then you will be comforted. Now, uh, a sermon I preached uh, about five or six years ago at this church, uh, I'm just going to encapsulate a little bit of that this morning. So you say, hey, wait a minute, this is a rerun. Uh, It's okay, they have reruns on television, okay? And and, and people watch them. Uh, (laughs) I I ran into a guy that had uh, been watching the same motion picture for 12 times, and in the end, the cowboy's uh, riding off, and, uh, and he hits a tree limb, breaks its neck, and dies after all these things that have happened to him. And I said, man, why are you watching that thing so many times? He says, well, I keep hoping that he realizes the tree limb is there and ducks. <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but we kind of fall into that trap at times. Happy are the sad, uh, applied. Uh, I want to take you over to Isaiah 53. And I want to look at verses 2 and 3. And the first thing I want to say about is that we've got to be honest about uh, what we need to mourn. We need to be honest about our wounds. We, we need to be able to admit that we're wounded and we're grieving. 
Uh, in Isaiah, the suffering servant passage, chapter 53, beginning of verse 2, it says, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the parched ground. Uh, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and uh, like one f- uh, from whom uh, men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. No, we didn't esteem him. We crucified him. And so we see that the writer of Isaiah 53 here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is being very honest uh, about Jesus and what he looked like here on earth. And, and we need to, to be honest uh, with that. Uh, for about, uh, oh, probably the better part of a year now, I've had a toothache. And it's under a crown. And I know I should get something done about it. But it doesn't hurt all the time. (laughs) So guess what? And not having dental insurance, I haven't done anything about it yet. Now, I'm getting close. I actually got forms for Yes Dental to fill out, okay? And once they get filled out, I will make an appointment. I'm getting there, but, but, but we, we tend to stuff things. We, we, tend, uh, we tend not to be honest about what's going on. Uh, we tend to try and push it to the side. Uh, in my own life, I had a great father. Uh, both my mom and dad are in heaven. And, and my mom, uh, she wanted to be great, but... Uh, uh, there was mental illness, and she lived in a day where uh, they didn't address mental illness. And as a result, my mom was very abusive physically and very abusive emotionally. And healing had to come with all that. And uh, I really thought that I'd gotten over that a long, long time ago. And I go to this movie Saturday, The, the Shack, and... It starts out, uh, this guy has an abusive dad. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm fighting back tears, and then tears are rolling down, and, and I'm having a conversation with the Lord, saying, Lord, I, uh, <laughs> I thought I was all over that. I, I forgave my mom a long time ago. And he says, uh, he says, yeah, you forgave your mom. That's a good thing. But, but there's still healing that has to come. There's still... I mean, I'm, I'm almost 68 years old, and, uh, <laughs> and those wounds ought to be well scarred over, you know. But yet, yet, I find it opening something in me, and I have to wrestle with my own message that uh, we have to be honest about our wounds. We have to be honest about uh, what's happened in our life, whether it's our fault or it's not our fault. We, we, you know, sometimes we just have to be honest and say, that hurt. That hurt. And, and, and we need to acknowledge the, the pain. Like I said, I, I forgave my mom a long time ago, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> I thought I was totally over this till Friday. Uh, secondly, in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5, uh, we need to mourn our losses. We need to grieve our losses. It says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, 
and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. You see, in the person of Jesus, if we'll acknowledge it, and if we'll get it out, if we'll grieve over it, in Jesus there is healing. Amen? And he wants to assure us of that. I love Henry Nouwen when he says that tears are the water that wash the wounds of the soul. You see, we were made in the image of God. Some people think that means we had a thumb, you know, or we have feelings. Uh, but I have two wiener dogs, and let me tell you, they have feelings. Uh, if, if you don't give them a treat, uh, the male will go over and hike his leg and spray something. He's getting his feelings out. He wanted a treat. You didn't give him one. So his reaction is, I'll show you. He knows where to go to the bathroom. He knows where it's kosher to go to the bathroom. He knows what he's doing. Uh, God made us in his image. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You and I are body, soul, and spirit. And just as God is a triune God, but one, you're a triune person. <laughs> you take your soul and spirit out and lay you in a box, and everyone will recognize you, and they'll talk about how good you look, even though you're dead. <laughs> Boy, doesn't he look good? <laughs> I'll never forget when uh, Peggy's dad was buried. It was a graveside service in El Cajon Cemetery in San Diego, and, and uh, Peggy's aunt on the way home all she could talk about was they opened the casket so everyone could make sure it was Peggy's dad inside. And, uh, and all the way home, she talked about uh, how she really felt the son did him some good. You know, here you are in the cemetery in your box, and, and, and uh, your sister-in-law, the only thing she could say is, boy, I really think the son did him some good. I'm thinking, he's dead. <laughs> you know? Uh, but... But you know if the spirit and the soul aren't there. We're, we're, a, we're a triune person and made in the image of God. Uh, and there are wounds of the soul. There are wounds of the spirit. And there are wounds and diseases of the flesh. And we have to grieve our losses. We must get on the outside what's in the inside if there's going to be healing. Now, if you come up to my place sometime, over in the middle building, I have two workbenches, and uh, Peggy got both of them for me, and I have stuff all over them. Uh, the actual work takes place on those benches. And one of the things that lays on that workbench is about a week before my dad uh, passed away, I got this bright idea of buying one of these kindergarten plaster Paris kits that have the plaster Paris and the tin pan and you mix up the plaster of Paris and then the five-year-old is supposed to put their hand in there and you let it dry and you have their handprint. And uh, I decided I would do that for my dad. He was 83, not in kindergarten. And uh, he, was, uh, he was in pretty bad shape uh, uh, a week before he passed away, but uh, he was still having good days. And I mixed that up and got his hand and the thing was, my dad had always been a strong man through life, but the strength had left him, and he could hardly make an imprint in that plaster of Paris. 
I was going to bring it this morning, but then I was afraid it might get broke, and so I didn't. But it sits on my, my workshop, and ever so often, I don't do it as much as I used to now, but ever so often I will stop and, and I'll place my hand in my dad's handprint. And believe it or not, my hand fits, even though my dad was a really skinny guy. And how it worked out that way, I have no idea. But my hand fits right in his hand. To kind of dress it up, I sprayed it bronze color, and, and, and I put my hand in there. And there are times in the garage, I'll just stand there, and the tears will roll. My dad passed away in 2007. But there are times I still need to grieve that because I can't pick up the phone and call my dad anymore. I'll see my dad again someday, but it's called grieving a loss. And, and the Lord says, we need to get what's in here, out here. We need to mourn if we're going to be comforted. Uh, in verse 10 in Isaiah 53, it says this. It says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. You see, we can't explain evil in the world. We can't explain why things happen. All we can simply say is if we know the Lord, he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us and to be our helper through it. Jesus had to die if you and I were going to live. Someone had to pay the price for sin, and the price for sin is death. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He who knew no sin became sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteous ones of God. And so if we were to live, if we were to have eternal life, Jesus had to die, and he did that. And, and this has to do with, with submitting to the Father's will. And, and I look back at the journey of my life, and, and there, are, there are detours and tangents and so forth uh, I probably wouldn't have taken if, if I were God, and yet I found myself on them. And, and we've got to realize that, that God has a plan for our life and that he is at work and that what we see is a detour or a dead end Oftentimes, it's the making of who and what God wants us to be. And in Jeremiah, uh, we, we read this, of course, in, in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and most of you can probably quote it by heart, where it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And then I always think of a guy like Joseph, <laughs> He got thrown into a well by his brothers, and they wanted to kill him, and they ended up selling him off into slavery. He spent uh, uh, time in Potiphar's household as a slave, only to be maligned and falsely accused and thrown into prison, and he was forgotten in prison. And then God brought him out, and he became the second into the land, second in command in the land of Egypt, only under Pharaoh. Wow, that was a good part of life. But remember, before he got there, before he got to the palace, there was the well, (laughs) there was a house of slavery, there was prison, there was all these things. But you see, blessed are the broken, (laughs) and blessed are those that mourn, 
God uses that brokenness in our life, and he uses it for the kingdom. I love the illustration that Henry Nouwen takes. Uh, when Henry Nouwen says in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and he, he says, you know, in John, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and he holds the bread, and he says, this is the bread that is broken for you. If you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become the bread of life because it's Jesus in you that that you model to to the world and uh, and and speak to the world through and and so we become a picture of that bread. He takes the bread. He says, "This is my body," and uh, he blesses it. So he takes the bread. He blesses it. But before he gives it, what does he do? He breaks it. He breaks it, and then he gives it, and he says, "Take, eat it." And Henry Noun says this is also a picture of our life in Christ. He takes our life. He, he saves us. He indwells us with his Holy Spirit. He, he blesses us. But before he can give us in ministry, he has to break us. And it's out of the brokenness that we minister. So there's this aspect where we need to be willing, even if we don't understand it, to submit to the Father's will. Uh, and then lastly, in verse 11 in Isaiah 53 there, uh, we read these words, uh, and I'll just turn back to it here. In verse 11, where it says, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. And so there is this aspect that we have to be uh, quick to forgive. And if you remember when Jesus was crucified upon the cross in, in Luke chapter 23, he, he had been placed there. And uh, uh, there on the cross, beginning at verse 33 in Luke 23, it says, When they had come to the place called the skull, uh, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left, but Jesus was saying... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they were casting lots for his clothes. You see, from that cross, I believe that Jesus looked out at humanity past and humanity future and humanity present. He looked at me. He looked at you. And as he took the sin of the world upon his shoulders, he said, Father, forgive them. (laughs) They know not what they do. And we have to be willing to forgive those who sin against us. And if we don't, it will only grow to bitterness and to rancor, and it will immobilize us, and it's, it's not good for those that were around. It's not good for us. There has to be a place where we get it out, we let it go, and we forgive those. Now, quickly, some examples of those that mourn in Scripture. Uh, uh, One example is uh, Timothy. Timothy was mourning over his youth and the fact that the church wasn't listening to him, even though uh, uh, Paul had installed him as the pastor. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, we read these words where it says, uh, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, Uh, that uh, by them you fight the good fight, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered uh, shipwreck in regard to their faith. Uh, 
God never promised it was going to be easy, did he? Whether it's life, whether it's ministry, whatever it is, sometimes it's very hard, this side of heaven. It's very hard uh, uh, in this world contaminated by sin. And we begin to mourn. And uh, Paul tells Timothy, take courage in the prophecies that were made over you. Uh, uh, Let it out, but uh, don't stay there in the middle of your grief. Move on. And uh, then we come to to David. And uh, and David, I want to take you to the little bit of the chorus that we sang this morning in in Psalm 42. Psalm 42, 1, David says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When uh, When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food uh, day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping the festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you be, uh, become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. David knew what it was to mourn. He knew what it was to to shed tears. (laughs) One of the poignant moments in this movie, The Shack, is that the Holy Spirit uh, collects tears from the man who's been abused and lost his young daughter to a predator. And uh, (laughs) they make the statement, we collect the things that are very valuable to us, don't we? I mean, if it doesn't mean something to you, you're not going to collect it. And here's the Holy Spirit of God collecting the tears. And later in the movie, the Holy Spirit pours out those tears and they give birth to life. And I know it's an allegory, but, uh, but uh, God uses our tears. A.W. Tozer uh, <laughs> wrote a book on, uh, on uh, what happened to man with no tears. Uh, mourning is a part of the process. I think of Jeremiah, and you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was, he was, he was mourning over the sin of Israel. Pouring out his heart, mourning over the sin of Israel. And there should be tears over our sin. And then lastly, uh, an example of those that mourn, I, I'd like to take you to Luke chapter 7. And if you have your Bibles or your phone, I would encourage you to... Uh, to uh, turn there. This is not Mary in the last week of Jesus' life uh, that comes and does uh, exactly the same sort of thing. This is early in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7. And in Luke 7, verses 36 and following, we find these words where it says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him, and he entered uh, the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner... In that word sinner, she was most likely a prostitute. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now, (laughs) again, like anything that God uses... The Pharisees got indignant, okay? And you can see the rest of the story there. But 
Blessed are those that mourn, happy are the sad, for they shall be comforted. You see, I, I believe that this woman had been forgiven of her sin. And you know, when there's great grace, <laughs> there's great gratitude. You know, how do we as Christians lose our temper and get upset with people when the blood of Jesus Christ covers all our sin and we have been forgiven so very, very, very much? Grace produces an attitude of gratitude. And and in this woman's life, there was great gratitude because there had been great grace. And she comes and brings probably all that she has. It's definitely her 401k program. She cashes it all out and pours it on the feet of Jesus, washes his feet with her tears and her hair. I like what Nyland says about this. He says, bitterness cannot coexist with an attitude of gratitude. You know, when you have your coffee in the morning and you start the day, spend some time in prayer until you're filled with an attitude of gratitude and it affects your whole day as you go out. It makes it all look different. Now, very quickly, why don't we mourn? Uh, Some people feel they have sinned too great. God can't forgive that. What does 1 John 1, 9 have to say? It says that if we confess our sin... He doesn't say some sin. He says if we'll confess our sin, all sin, whatever the sin is, if we'll confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. Amen? If you're here this morning and you're not mourning because you think you've passed the point of no return, this side of the grave, this side of our last breath, there is no point of no return. Jesus stands there with with arms wide open, and, and just so we don't lose the message, he had one nailed to this side and one nailed to that side. Does that maybe say he loves you? It tells me that he loves me, and those arms are wide open. Some have mourned only to have the church condemn them, and we forget Romans 8.1 and what it has to say, that there is no condemnation in the person of Jesus Christ. People have come to the church, they've confessed their sin, they've got it out, and the church has turned around and condemned them, and they've gone away probably never to come back to church and to say, I won't do that anymore. If you're here this morning and you have been wounded by the church, I applaud you for being back. I applaud you for being in your seat this morning because the heart of God is not to condemn you. The heart of God is arms wide open to receive you and to forgive you of whatever it's been. And if the church has wounded you, on behalf of the church, I want to apologize to you. Because there's only one judge. And we forget that every time we point a finger, there's three pointing right back at us, isn't there? There's only one judge, and we're not the judge. I think sometimes deceit and pride <laughs> keep us from mourning. We want to put on the mask. We want to look good. We want to be like the Pharisees, white marble tombs on the outside, <laughs> but rotting, stinking death on the inside. 
we got to get that out. we got to get it out, or it will continue to, to eat at us and, and to take us over. Uh, we think if we look good on the outside, that's what's important. <laughs> you know what? God could care less what our hairstyle looks like. You know how I know that? I can't even grow any hair up here. Okay? <laughs> uh, God's not concerned about that stuff. God's concerned about what's in here. Uh, I once saw a special, <laughs> a little boy, I think it was in Iraq, it was several years ago, and he'd been involved in one of the the IEDs, and uh, and he was just badly disfigured, and there were some plastic surgeons that had shown up, and they were going to help this little boy out. <laughs> and I'll never forget this little boy in broken English on television saying, and he was only about six or seven years old. He says, I may not look very good on the outside, but he says, I'm really cool on the inside. Man looks at the outside. God looks at what? The inside, the heart, the heart. And so don't, don't let deceit and pride get in the way. And then... Then in our culture, we simply don't allow people to mourn. We, we trivialize mourning. Uh, a week ago, Friday night, Grayson uh, Pettit and I had the privilege of watching Jeremiah Johnson together. I'm not recommending it. I only recommended the shack, okay? want to get that straight. But in Jeremiah Johnson, there's a little boy whose family has been killed except for his mom who's gone crazy. And she gives him to Jeremiah Johnson he's watched his dad and his brothers and sisters all be killed. And, uh, and then they run into uh, the Indians who did it. And there's a skirmish. They leave the little boy behind. And Jeremiah Johnson gets back after the skirmish. The little boy's sitting there sobbing. Jeremiah Johnson, in the line with the culture, looks at him and he says, Don't do that, boy. And that's kind of our society's comment on mourning. Stuff it. Cowboy up. Buck up. Ah. God's ways aren't man's ways. God's ways are get it out. Be comforted. And no healing. Well, as we close this morning, happy are the sad. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Remember, to mourn is pantheo. It means the death of. A death of a person. A death of dreams, hope, plan, agenda. Death of these things. We need to get them out and realize that our only hope is the person of Jesus Christ. So as we close this morning, I want you to know that there won't be a song or anything like that, but the altar will be open. I'm going to ask elders that are present with their wives that they'd come forward. And, and if, if you just want to seek God and pour it out to God, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. If you want somebody to pray with you this morning, we want to pray with you. But uh, I want to encourage you to mourn, to get what's in here, out here. And maybe part of that morning is just asking somebody to pray with you or for you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it's so much easier to talk about mourning than to do it. It's so much easier to talk about grief than to actually experience it and, and feel the pain of it.
Lord, it's so much easier to talk about getting what's in the inside, outside, and, and, and then that gets to be hard. So, Lord, be our helper this morning. Help us to get out what needs to get out so that you can fill more of us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to learn how to grieve, how to mourn. Help us to know how to release the tears and allow the water of the tears to wash the wounds of the soul. Lord, uh, help us not to retreat and just be content with the same old, same old when, Lord, you want to comfort us. And you want to work through our brokenness and you want to work through our grief and And, Lord, the kingdom comes in these ways. Help us to be a part of the kingdom, realizing our only hope is Jesus. So, Lord, help this not to be mere words this morning, but help it to be something that we act upon. And, Lord, uh, as we leave this place this morning, remind us that we enter our mission field. And there are all kinds of people around us on our left and our right and in front of us and back of us that, that, that need to mourn, that have been wounded, that need grace, that need the hope of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help that to flow from us just as the tears flow. And we'll thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.